0: The newest project is to bike from the basically the northern tip of Alaska inside the Arctic Circle down to San Diego, to the Mexican border. So I am excited for like this this adventure and this physical challenge and seeing the, the country, seeing so much of Canada I've never seen before. And along the way, I'll be bringing a sketchbook and I'll, I'll be making ink and watercolor sketches of whatever I see from the side of the road. Every day I try to pull over and just take an hour and do a sketch.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. This is a show where I have conversations with artists who draw or paint their environment from observation. Past guests include oil painters, pen and ink sketch artists, YouTubers, TikTokers, travel artists, sketch journalists, cartoonists, architects, all the different kinds of people that represent their world in different creative ways. My guest today left a career in architecture to become an artist and left his home to cycle across the U.S. and live in a van. Next week, he begins a cross-country solo bike ride from the northern tip of Alaska to San Diego, California, a distance of 4,000 miles. As if this tremendous physical and mental feat of endurance was not enough, he will also be making an ink and watercolor sketch every day along this journey. Earlier this year, Mike launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund this 4,000-mile bikepacking trip. I am delighted to share that it is now overfunded by almost double of what he had asked. Backers will receive a self-published book of Mike's writings and drawings from the journey. Mike has been living the van life since 2017 with his partner Jess. He tells me about the time that they decided to buy a van instead of a house. We speak about this incredible impromptu decision and all the little decisions of Mike's life that led up to this one, as well as all the wonderful things that have happened since as a result. Mike says that they don't live so much in the van as they live around the van. We speak about this deep relationship with the great American outdoors, moving from place to place with the seasons, and the extraordinary support of the van life community. We discuss what it means for Mike to cut down on life's material possessions, and to slow down in this way to appreciate his world, both as a person as well as an artist. I learned so many things from this conversation, and I left it with the thought that, in this balance between means and ends, sometimes we tend to forget that life itself is all means and no end. Hello, Mike, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to speak with
0: you. Yeah, thank you, Nishan. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Mike, I've been looking at the kind of things you do and all of your story is quite fascinating. And we're going to go into it in all kinds of different ways, but not in a straight line, hopefully, (laughs) because that's the least amount of fun. Uh, why don't we start with this Kickstarter that you've just launched and it's already overfunded. Tell me, tell me about it. Tell me about your goal and tell me about how you designed the Kickstarter around it.
0: Yeah. So, um, so I, I think that I look at art in a, in a somewhat different way and I consider myself an artist and and I've come to call myself an artist, but I like to use it in, in a way that takes me places and opens me up to seeing the world in a different way. And so one of the things that I really enjoyed doing the most is, um, is biking. So I really love to get out and bike and bike, especially long distances. And so the longer story is that it was a a lifelong dream of mine, a childhood dream to bike across the United States. And the summer after I graduated college, I said, I'm going to do it. And I, and I set out and I, I had my whole bag, I had everything packed, everything was on the bike. And I set off and I went three days and I quit and it was a, <laughs> a, such a huge disappointment. I was so uh, just frustrated and, and disappointed. Um, but that was back in 2007. And then so 2020 came around, I had another opportunity to do it. And so I, I did it during the pandemic. Um, I said, you know what? It's now or never. I've got the time. I've got the opportunity to do it. And I biked from New Jersey to California in 2020 and along the way I brought a sketchbook. And so that's what I, I love to do. And I'd love to draw every day. Um, and we can get into all that where all that started, but, um, like you were asking about the Kickstarter and the new project, the newest project is to bike from the, basically the Northern tip of Alaska inside the Arctic circle down to San Diego to the Mexican border. So I. And excited for like this this adventure and this physical challenge and seeing the the country, seeing so much of Canada I've never seen before. And along the way, I'll be bringing a sketchbook and I'll I'll be making ink and watercolor sketches of whatever I see from the side of the road. Every day I try to pull over and just take an hour and do a sketch. So um, in June, so it is now April. I don't I don't know when this episode will come out, but uh, June sixth, I'm scheduled to start this bike ride. And to to kind of fund the ride and get some momentum behind it, I've I started a Kickstarter to sell copies of the book that I'll publish uh, after this ride. Mm-hmm.
1: And g- give me a sense of this distance. Like, you know, when we say Alaska to Mexico, it sounds like a lot, but <laughs> like realistically, what are some, what are some ways to, you know, for people who are not particularly outdoorsy or who haven't even biked, you know, the notion of traveling from one, uh, like. So this is something I think about, like how now if I travel 10,000 kilometers and Mm -hmm. usually that would be taking a flight, the sense of that journey is not of 10,000, like the sense of that journey is affected by the fact that it's a plane and I'm in it for maybe three hours or four hours. Mm -hmm. So the the kind of journey that I'm going through is not the same if I was on a train, it's not the same if I was in a car and it's certainly not the same if I was on a bike. Right. So give me a sense of this trip. What does it mean to be biking this distance?
0: Um, so the, the distance is hard to kind of grasp in one big, big single thing. So, so I break it up into sections. Um, you know, uh, the, the very first section is probably one of the most difficult it's, it's 500 miles of gravel road through the Arctic tundra. And there's no towns, no support, no cell service, all these things. Um, and so, so I break it up into chunks and then also I take it just day by day. And, uh, the, one of the beautiful things about either like long distance bike, bike packing or, or hiking or any of these outdoor things that span multiple days is you get into a routine so quickly. And by like the second day, you're already there that you wake up and you, you pedal and you make art and you eat and you sleep. And that's, that's it. And it's, it's this beautiful kind of thing that you just repeat over and over until, until it's over. Um, (laughs) And so I expect this trip to take somewhere around six, maybe seven weeks. Um, And uh, so that's basically as simple as that. It's a a big challenge, but it's a very simple kind of uh, exercise.
1: There are lots of little things here that, you know, if you talk to someone who does not do such activities, doesn't spend multiple days in an endurance activity outdoors they might immediately only think of the physical challenge for why they want to or don't want to do it mm-hmm. but there's more to it than just the physical challenge w- what are some things that people don't quite get like what are some what are some reasons you do it that make this incredible physical endurance worth it for you
0: um well look, kind of like i said it's the simplicity and and it's it has its mental challenges it has its loneliness <clears throat> and it has all these these other kinds of things that that may quest that was kind of in 2007 when I when I went three days into this big epic ride and then I quit that was part of the reason was that I wasn't quite ready to leave behind my my friends and family I wasn't sure if that's how I wanted to spend my summer and you know now that I'm older and I've kind of got my priorities in, in order it's what I love to do um and and like, again, I, I, like I said, it's, it's just a, such a simple thing where you're out there and if you get lonely, do you, I don't know, I listen to podcasts and, uh, you just take in the scenery and also doing it solo has, has its challenges. But then also when you want to like pull over and take a nap in the afternoon, you can do that. Or if you're hungry, you can eat. If you're not, you don't. So you're, you're just running on your own schedule, listening to your own body and doing it exactly the way that, that feels best in that moment.
1: Right. And, uh, what are the, so the people that are funding you on Kickstarter, uh, they, they receive potentially, uh, at one level of funding, they receive a copy of the book at another level, they receive an ebook. And of course there's simply the people who just want to support you. Yeah. Are you going to be sharing the journey with them while you're on it in any way?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I share as much as I can on Instagram. Um. I on my last my 2020 cross country ride, I would post a video every two days. Uh I would carry a GoPro and, and do a really cool kind of video edit every two days. And I was posting the sketches that I would do along the along the way as well. So um, you know, I, I try to, you know, it, it people people are interested in what I'm doing and I I'm, I'm happy to share it. I mean, hopefully it inspires someone or uh someone might, you know, be interested in what I'm doing and And uh, and want to reach out and talk about it. And I'm happy to do that. But but at the heart of it, it's a it's a solo endeavor uh, that I'm just happening to share with people.
1: Right. And it seems to me and I'm looking at your Kickstarter project and it's already overfunded after a week, after about 10 days since you started, which is amazing. It's overfunded by 50 percent at the moment. I just checked yeah and i'm i'm curious to know what is the the community that you speak to because it seems to me that the the things that you're involved in the things that you do every day they span multiple communities you're you're an artist but that's one aspect of you you're also an outdoorsman and in, uh, you're doing a lot of endurance sports that's another aspect of you but then there's the van life as well so yeah. tell me a little bit about these funders where they come from who are the kinds of people who follow you and love your work
0: Um, so yeah, like you said, it is, it's been, it's been a crazy couple of years where I've spanned multiple communities and multiple, uh, groups of people and friends and, and they don't always kind of connect, you know, it's hard to sometimes connect the dots, but we have such a strong, my wife, my wife and I is who I'm referring to. Um, we have such a strong community in different aspects. So we have, uh, this van life community that we've been a part of for probably five years now. And there's such a really cool community on the road of other people living in vans, traveling the country. And so we've met so many of them along the way and developed so many relationships and friendships. Uh, so that's, that's one little part of it. And then we also have this other thing that we, we go to Burning Man every year. And so we had got like this Burning Man community of friends spread all across the world. And we just recently went to Africa with 30 of our Burning Man friends. And we We do all these things that uh so like that's just two of these two of these groups and then you know then i've got artist friends and i've got an artist online community that that i i'm involved in and that i love sharing my work and seeing their work and all that kind of stuff um and then there's the the bike you know the bike community and the the endurance and the sports and so it's all these these different things that i think If as many, if you can put your foot into as many pools as possible, it just enriches your life in so many different ways. And, and, uh, we've been so fortunate to, to have so many different opportunities to, to meet new groups and and new circles.
1: So true. Um, and I wonder about the the book at the end of it, does it also sort of, um, cater to these different communities or does it sort of fulfill these different aspects of you? Does it speak to these different things that you enjoy? Is it simply about the art that you make on the way, or is it going to talk about your journey as well?
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be the art. Um, I I I intend to have a scanned version of each sketch, uh, ink and watercolor sketch. Uh, my Instagram is full of photos taken on the spot. So my left thumb is actually in every Instagram photo <laughs> of me holding up the art, and then the art, and then the the scene behind. So I'll right. I'll incorporate that into the book and then also i i do enjoy to write and and i'll be writing little essays or stories from the road or um you know wh- whatever whatever may happen um i plan to, to to write a little story about that as well and so just based on who has been interested in the book um hopefully it reaches out to all of those different groups because i've i've seen friends from each group kind of contribute to the kickstarter and show their interest and so um if they're they're interested before there's ever a book or a project, then hopefully they'll be interested afterwards as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, so true. And all of these are such interesting topics, and I'm thinking about how I want to how I want to dive into the van life, how I want to talk <laughs> about your art and all these other things, but they all come out of basically your personal interests and motivations. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I should begin with is trying to understand that a little better uh can you tell me a little bit about your interest in these different things as you were growing up like cycling you mentioned was something that was dear to you the outdoors life what were the interests and the the pursuits in your early life that you you know that that sort of constituted your world
0: yeah um i mean i i think we just kind of take it one by one but uh but the art was something that was always I was always very encouraged as a child to, to draw and paint and, and express myself creatively. Um, my grandfather was a working uh, commercial artist. So back before computers and, and all that kind of stuff in like the design, advertising, marketing world, everything had to be drawn by hand. And so that's what he did for a living. And then he would also do fine art uh, paintings, oil paintings at home. And, and so they're still, these paintings are very cherished in my family and they're still around. and. Um, so that was, that was what he did for his whole life. And then uh, at some point I actually inherited a lot of his tools and a lot of his uh, oh, wow. protractors and compasses and all these tools. I was probably 12 or 14 years old. I didn't even know what half these things were, but I, I've you know, I cherished these, these items and these, these lead pencil holders and and things that were kind of fired, but I would experiment with them and, and try to just play around with them. Um, and so then as a, as a teenager, I, I was you know, what do I want to do to, for the rest of my life? That kind of conversation came up and I knew I wanted to do something creatively and, and have, uh, an outlet to express myself. But I was like, oh, well, I guess I need a career. And I need, I think, I'll think a lot of people fall into this. Oh, is an art, is an artist a real career and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so around 14, I said, oh, well, I'll be an architect. And so I started, uh, choosing all of my classes in middle school and high school to be, uh, you know, taking whatever I could, the, the, the mechanical drawing courses and, um, extra, extra things in wood shop. And, and, uh, I even took like some electrical design courses and things like that. Um, and so after high school, I went on to, to architecture school. And so I did five years in architecture school. And I think that was one of the greatest, educations that I could have received because it, I didn't come out being an architect or learning all these things, but it taught me how to design and how to look at the world differently. And one of the, really the biggest impacts that it had on me was I spent a semester in Rome. So uh, my fourth year in in college, you get this opportunity to study abroad. And so I went to uh, Temple University, a school in Philadelphia. They have a campus in Rome, Temple, Rome, and so I went and spent a semester there and uh, it just really opened up my eyes to to so much of what architecture can be. And one of my favorite courses while I was there was a class called Rome Sketchbook. And it was just like a very low level class. I think it was open to anyone. It wasn't just arch- the architecture students, um, you know, the, the theater majors or whoever was there could have taken this class. Um, but the professor would say, all right, uh, tomorrow meet me at this piazza. And that was all that was like we're going bring your sketchbook. We're going out sketching. And that was, I guess, my intro to urban sketching. Um, uh, we would go out and we would, you'd be like, all right, well, uh, sketch this column. Or like, I remember I'd spent like a whole day just sketching a lamppost and all of the detailing and, and all these beautiful things. Um, and so that was, that was just something I really, really enjoyed. It really struck a chord with me. Um, and I didn't really follow up with it like I should have. I should have kept that practice going. Um, but, you know, I didn't. I went back to finish up my last uh, semester and a half of school and then uh, moved into the architecture world, moved into the, the corporate kind of um, world of architecture.
1: Right. Um, uh, you mentioned You mentioned that architecture taught you to look at the world differently. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a sketcher and I go out and I try to draw buildings as well and whatever things that strike me is interesting but I always wonder about people who have education in these things and what is the way that what what are some of these things that they see underneath the surface maybe that mm-hmm. I don't formally appreciate so I'm curious about this what are some of the ways that architecture taught you to see the world in a better or a different light
0: yeah I, I think that um, no matter who you are you probably see the world like everyone sees the world differently. Uh, I I love the idea that, you know, a painter will see the way two colors interact with each other or, um, you know, a a race car driver looks at the the way the road curves and he's like, oh, look at that curve, you know, like, so everybody sees what they want to see in the world. And so as an architect, I think I see scale and proportion and especially perspective. Um, I remember even as a kid drawing, like perspective was this magic that this magic key that i unlocked at a certain age and i was able to draw in perspective and it just was like a it was like a a, an epiphany really um and so now that i see things in those kinds of languages it um it just fascinates me and so um this I, i would say scale proportion and perspective is is what it what it is for me um you know i i never really took any proper art classes so like color is something i've just kind of been self-taught uh, just kind of experiment with color um texture and like even even like the way i uh i don't know and then like mark making was was something i obviously learned in architecture school and and that's something i uh, i try to practice yeah. with my art
1: so your first uh run into urban sketching was as part of your education and rome is perhaps one of the best places in the world to fall in love with such a practice. Um, How did uh, you, you mentioned then that it's again, did drop out of your life as you went on to work as an architect. So tell me about the rediscovery. How did it once again, enter your life? What, what was the phase that you were in? What was the frame of mind and how did sketching come back to you?
0: It was, uh, yeah, so I was living, uh, I went to school in Philadelphia and then I moved to Baltimore and I, uh, was working at an architecture firm for a couple of years. And I found that I was doing as, as an entry level, uh, junior assistant architect, I was doing things like parking garages and mall bathrooms and, you know, (laughs) speccing what kind of toilet paper holder should go on the wall, that kind of stuff. And, uh, it was not really the fulfilling dream that, that every 14 year old has. Um, and so, but it was, it was good job and, and, you know, I was, I was happy to be doing it. But I felt that at the same time I was kind of losing touch with the the reasons I got into that profession. So I would start to go home at night and I would go into the basement of my house and I would build these woodworking projects. I, I it was a little tiny little basement, but I jammed it with uh, with saws and sanders and planers and all that kind of stuff. And I would just build furniture just just for myself. Um, I would furnish my house with it basically. Sometimes I would be sitting at work and I'd be doodling something and I'd be like, oh, that's a really cool table leg idea. I would go home and build it. And I was like, now what do I do with this table? I don't, I don't know, but I would, um, I was still like, I still needed that creative outlet and that, that idea that I want to produce something. And, um, you know, cause these architecture projects I was working on, they would take two years before you ever got to see something completed and something finished. Right. Um, so, so in addition to the architecture and the woodworking, then I. Really felt that, uh, this was in my twenties and then, uh, believe it or not on my 30th birthday, I got divorced and I turned 30 in the same, same week. And I was like, all right, this is, (laughs) this is a chance to, uh, start something new. I want to take the last 30 years, put them aside, say, all right, that was that now the next 30, what is it going to be? And so Mm -hmm. on that day, on my birthday, I bought a sketchbook and I said, I'm going to sketch once a day, every day for the next 30 years. That was the goal and I had never, I was not sketching at all up to that point. I was, I was just, uh, working and, and doing all that kind of stuff. But so I bought a sketchbook and I sat down and I, it was actually on the block, um, where I lived in Baltimore. I went right around the corner and there was these, these really old garages. They used to be carriage houses where the horses and carriages would be kept. And I knew they were going to be tearing them down soon. to building some new, new, uh, new buildings. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I want to kind of in this like very nostalgic uh, the, the last thirty years, the next thirty years kind of thing. I said I want to document w- what these look like today and and take this moment and record it. And so that was my very first sketch in my first sketchbook was uh, was these old old abandoned uh, carriage houses, and uh, and I, I've done my best to stick with it. So that's how I that's how I kind of ended up here.
1: Yeah, and then there is this certain point where you decide that the art needs to take an even bigger role in your life and you change careers in a sense it's it's difficult for me to say career for you because <laughs> it's it's very i'm finding it very difficult to quite put a label on your work like i feel like it's it would be unfair to say that you're an artist because it would miss out on so many aspects of you so yeah. there is this very profound change you made in your life to not be an architect anymore, to move away from a lot of things that we identify as essential stability in 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 modern life. But you decided to give more to your creative side and more to these other things that make you interested. How did this change come about? Like, what is the motivation to take such a big step?
0: Yeah. So I was, um, like I said, so I was, I started that very first page in the sketchbook in 2013. And that was right around the time that I met my, my girlfriend who's now my wife. Um, and so, uh, I kept, I kept sketching for probably about three four more years, just in kind of in, in isolation, I would sketch and I didn't post anything. I didn't share it mm-hmm. with anyone. Um, and it was just my own personal journal project. And then, uh, as my wife and I, we found ourselves, we wanted to kind of explore more. And so at a certain point, we kind of looked at the calendar and we were like, every weekend we are trying to get away and we're going somewhere, we're going on these adventures, we're going backpacking, we're going on bike rides, we're doing all these really cool things. And the, the longer story is that um, in 2015, I think, I'm looking at her 2016. Um, <laughs> We went on a trip to the Grand Tetons. Uh, we flew out there and we were going to do a week-long backpacking trip in the Grand Tetons and which is one of my favorite national parks. If if you've never been, it's you know, you go to Yosemite and then I'd say go to Tetons. Those are my two favorites. And the Grand Canyon too.
1: So like, yeah, I, I agree. Like my I have a picture of the Grand Tetons that's been my phone's wallpaper for the last oh, really? five years.
0: Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that's awesome. Um so we went to the Tetons. And before we hit the trail, we were, we had a rental car we were just driving around, picking up a few more things before we hit the trail. And there was a van for sale on the side of the road. It was a camper van. It was all decked out. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. It was like a yacht on wheels <laughs> and it was for sale. And we looked at, we looked in the window and it was like $120,000. Like, that is, a, that's an incredible amount of money. There's no way we can afford this. But then, so we hit the trail and there's no cell service and there's, you know, not, no other distractions. And we just kind of kept talking about this van. We were like, oh, you know, it's a cheap house. What if we look at it like a house? And what if we look at it like a mortgage? And maybe we could transition to online working and and do all these, these things. And it'll allow us to go on these hikes and these bike rides and see the country that we are really, we really want to see. And living in Baltimore and working on nine to fives is not allowing for us to do that. So we finished the hike. And within a week, we actually went back to Baltimore and we bought a used van, an empty cargo van. And we said, if we build it out ourselves, which I love to do, because I have that architecture and woodworking background, and I was like, we could build it ourselves and make this van exactly what we want it to be and, and we'll hit the road. And so, um, it took us about five months to build it and, and empty out the house and find a renter and make arrangements with our work and all that kind of stuff. And. um but we finally hit the road in 2017 and uh haven't looked back since so um.
1: and it 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 sounds like such an incredible story on so many fronts like there is firstly just the, the professional aspect of deciding to not have a stable location where you go into work or not even it's not even working from home in the same sense as most as everyone else does it because there's no dedicated spot and there is a, a, no single place that you're at But even on a personal level, like other than the professional aspect, it's such a big decision in this very profound way to not have a fixed address. Where did the confidence for this come from? Because it seems like as if there would be many hesitations and there would be a lot of different needs to, to be very sure about what you're doing before you take this leap. It seems so against like the grain of conventional living. Were you already tapped into the van life community? Were you already tapped into, you know, in touch with people who were doing this kind of thing? What were your inspirations?
0: Uh, no, it was, it was actually, it was, it was a very big leap. And it was, uh, my wife has a saying that if you leap, the net will appear. So it's like just saying like, just jump and you don't know where you're going to land, but you know, 100% of the time I've always landed on my feet somewhere, somehow. So you always make it work. Um, and so we didn't know anyone It it was, it was comical actually how little we knew about (laughs) this whole van life thing. And there were obviously, I mean, people have been living in vans and living on the road since the sixties. I mean, it's nothing new even before that, the the forties or whatever. So uh, it was new in a sense that we have, now we have cell phones and we can work from the road and there's computers and there's remote working. So that was, that was kind of our pioneering uh, aspect of it, but Mm -hmm. we only knew of one other couple online who we've never, we never met in, at the time. Um, and they were making YouTube videos and we had a mutual friend and we, I forget how it was, but we'd reached out and we said, Oh, it's so cool what you guys are doing. I think we are, we want to try it too. And they just wrote back like one line and they said, you should do it. And that was like the little push. That was just the little push that we needed. And so um, we, it was a risk. Um, but we also, at the same time, we, we told our employers we'll be back in a year. So we said, you know, whatever, whatever happens, we'll be back in a year. We rented out our house for one year. So, you know, if, if in, in 12 months, it wasn't working out, we, we would just go right back into the, the old, the old thing. Um, but then we were six months on the road and we found that we were loving it and we needed more time. One year was not going to be enough. So Mm -hmm. Um, so we really settled into finding remote work and, uh, you know, establishing our new businesses. So I was making art from the road. So every day I'd wake up in a new state or a new national park and have something so inspiring to draw. Um, so I would draw that and then I would, uh, create prints and I would sell prints of that online on Etsy. And that was my income. And it still is, uh, to this day now the, the really cool thing about selling your work online is that it opens up more, more people get to see your work and they say, oh, I love what you did here. Can you maybe change it and can you do this thing for me and do this custom work? And now I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, house projects and, uh, like, oh, can you draw my house? Can you draw my dog? Can you draw my, my family? All that kind of stuff. Um, and so, uh and then that leads to other other work uh like commercial logo designs and um you know other i'm i'm basically open to anything but um <laughs> but it's it's been such a really cool journey to to create this new art business um it's been it's been a lot of fun yeah
1: and it also sounds a little bit like taking the leap without knowing exactly where you land and i i think about the like the incredible value of doing that you know because Sometimes We so often think that we need to have all the answers before we do anything. So even when my wife and I go on a hike somewhere, we usually know where we want it to end and where we're going to turn around. And a couple of times I'll just think about how that's so unnatural to (laughs) have all this information. It's great that, you know, you have all this information about every hike that, you know, even the exact elevation involved you know how difficult it's going to be there's like a, a scale to tell you whether you should do this or if you don't feel comfortable doing it avoid these hikes right and i wonder so it it leads to more people hiking and it leads to more people spending time outdoors which is the the positive but i wonder at the negative also about having too much information about how things are going to go down and it seems to me that a lot of your life is designed around not having or not bothering with that extra information.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a new, new, um, strength, I guess I've developed in knowing or not knowing what the future is. Um, and just having a little bit of confidence that you can kind of shape it in the way you want. And, uh, and for the most part, it it, it turns out okay. It's well, what you were saying, like knowing your hike and knowing what the elevate, the upcoming elevation is, um, it's been five years now of where, like the question is almost every day, where are we going to sleep tonight? And that's like, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very visceral kind of thing. And it's like one of those. Maslow, Mavlov's uh, hierarchy of needs is like shelter. Right. And so we know we'll be in the van, but we don't know where it's going to be. And so <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, a, a kind of a, you need to shift your mindset a little bit just to say that, you know, uh, we have the van and, uh, the roof doesn't leak and we just got to find somewhere to park it tonight.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. uh let me share my uh living life on the edge moment from yesterday with my wife. We went out for breakfast somewhere and on the drive back we did not use Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, that was that was it was really rough and it yeah. was very much an adventuring moment actually looking out and trying to remember the the road signs and right. things like that.
0: Did you and you made uh, it back?
1: We made it back here. All right,
0: look at that! Look at that!
1: It was just a couple of miles, incidentally, but perfect. (laughs) Uh, But I'm also now now you just mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and that's exactly how I'm thinking about not only this decision around your life, but also so many micro decisions around. So what I was what I kind of uh, was thinking around the physical endurance part of uh, being on a cross country cycling trip, and beyond the physical endurance part there is this this aspect in which you reduce life to its most essential things like there's so much fluff that's knocked out of the picture because now you uh, you know you can we can think negatively about such things as or dangerously about such things as now th- having to think about where we're going to sleep tonight but the positive is that it sort of sets everything into perspective about what is important and what is really quite frivolous. Have you felt that kind of change in your life since you moved to the van life? What are some of the things that were that did occupy a space in your mind that have sort of fallen away over the years?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's more about. I mean, it, it does occupy space in my mind, but more importantly, it occupied time in my day. Um, so, you know. Uh, living in a house, it was always about maintaining the house, uh, taking out the trash, taking care of the the pets, um, vacuuming and cleaning and all these things. But now we've kind of taken it down to in a van anyway. Oh, if the van's dirty, it'll take us three minutes to clean it up and sweep it out. Um, and so that just leaves you with so much more time to do other things. Um, and obviously we do fill our days with things, you know, everybody is busy. There's, there's nobody, when we first hit the road, I thought it was going to be days of idleness and laziness, and just hammocks and books all the time. And that's not true. Um, there's there will always be things that are filling your day, but but as long as we're now filling it with the things that we care about, is what has been the biggest difference.
1: Right. Uh, describe uh, describe a typical day for me. What does it? Uh, what are some of the things it involves and I'm like, I'm just curious about some things that don't occur to people like me who don't know anything about the van life.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I I definitely do think it's changed over, over time. In the very first year, we were pedal to the metal everywhere we went. And I think we crossed the country like three times in the first year. And we were checking off national parks every week. And we would just drive through the night to get to the next spot. And we were always going, going, going. And it was amazing, and, it, and we were getting out on these hikes, and we were doing these activities, and we were paddleboarding and biking, and and doing all these amazing things. And then, um, at that point, uh, my wife and I, we were like, you know what? We only need to work ten hours a week, and we can make enough money to to pay the bills. And it was it was great. It worked. The the money worked out. Um, and then at a certain point, we we're like, well, if we're working ten hours a week, if we make if we work twenty hours a week. We can, we can double our money and then we can like live more comfortably and all these things. And so in year like three, in year two and three, we started to work a little more and we settled down and we, we found that we like, could catch our breath a little bit. We would maybe stay two nights in one place instead of just one night. Um, and so then now we're at a point where we're basically working 30, 40 hours a week from the van and we still get to like have these beautiful views and go to all these cool places and kind of move with the seasons and find the weather that fits us perfectly. Um, but so that's, that's where we are right now. And, um, so the, the typical day is that we, uh, we wake up, um, uh, making the bed is kind of like a joint effort because it takes two of us to, nobody can be in bed. You have to like put the bed away. (laughs) Um, and then I typically give my wife a little space in the morning. She likes to wake up slowly and have her coffee and so I'll go out on a little walk or something like that and then if we're somewhere cool I love to take my bike out we keep the bikes under the bed in the van take the bike out and go for a sketch and and I'll be like hey I'll be back in an hour um I might maybe I found a cool spot on the map or there's something downtown I want to sketch and so I'll just bring my sketchbook and a stool and I'll go out for about an hour and check that out and then we come back and we we have lunch and then the afternoon maybe I'll be Running some prints, so for the Etsy shop, I get a couple orders a week, and um, I go to post office all over the country. It's been a really, <laughs> a really kind of cool insight into a little town America to check out every post office. Um, and then I, I'll print. I have a printer in the van, I print, and I have all my packaging, all my envelopes, and all that kind of stuff. Drop them off at the post office, and then um, the evening is uh, is dinner, and maybe uh, maybe we'll hang out with some friends or do something like that. I saw this interview
1: of yours in which you said that you're not so much living in the van as, and I'm paraphrasing, but living around the van and the things that it allows you to do. Yeah. So, uh, so w- what's that like? That it, you know, even if you, even if you like outdoors life, to be right. really thrust in the outdoors in this sense is still a change, a major shift in life. Uh, what has that been like? How how has your life changed from what it used to
0: be before? um well it's really we feel like outside cats now you know how there's like inside cats and outside cats (laughs) yeah we're we're now the outside cats and uh so uh we you know we, we come in every night we we still like to to be cozy in bed at night but um during the day it's 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 just amazing to be outside and um yeah i mean it it's at some points though we have gotten soft you know uh i know a lot of backpackers and hikers who are like out there, no matter what they, they were like, uh, I drove to Utah and I'm going to do this hike. And then for us, sometimes we pull up to this spot and like, oh, it's kind of cold and windy. I don't, I don't think I'm going outside today. And so we'll just <laughs> stay in the van. I mean, there have been days where we just stay in the van all day and, um, we're comfortable and we, we got the heat and the lights and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. but then, uh, also you were saying about, uh, some, so we have about 70 square feet in here and some people say, Oh, how do you do it? How it's so small and that's when we say we like we live out of the van. So the idea is that we open up this big sliding door and our new front yard is wherever we are. And it could be a beach, it could be a mountain, the desert, whatever. And so that's the beauty of living on wheels. What is some of the infrastructure around this? Like what are
1: some public facilities that you're able to access as, you know, as a van life couple uh, have they improved over the years and what are some things that you lean on?
0: Yeah, um so you're you're in Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm sure that in Canada there, there are public lands, um, here in the U S there, are uh, it's the, um, department of what is it? The, um, BLM Bureau of Land Management. And so, uh, so many areas in the West, especially like Nevada and Arizona, parts of California, it's just public lands and it's, it's encouraged for people to go use it. And you can camp for up to like two weeks for free. Just make sure you take care of the place. And so that is one of the biggest resources for van lifers. Um, and then, so we, we we take advantage of that. And actually at the same time, I'll, I'll give my wife a little, a little promo, but she has started a company called Seeker mm-hmm. and it's an app, an online app that helps people find campsites and resources on the road. And so it's a map based app and you open it up it says, oh, you're, you know, here are 20, 20 camping options around you. And then also. You can open it up and it'll say, oh, and there's five other van lifers nearby and you can send them a message and you can connect and you can create this community on the road. So, um, honestly doing van life today with technology is, uh, is, is that, that's what makes the whole thing sustainable for us. Um, right. if we had done this in the eighties or the nineties before cell phones, it, we would be alone and we would have done this for probably six months and then thrown in the towel. But right. um, but the, the internet today—it it makes anything possible.
1: Yeah, I want to touch on both of these things because uh, what your what your wife does is also interesting. How you both make your life work is also interesting. But uh, before I get into that, tell me a little bit about the van lifer community because, like you mentioned, you didn't know much about this world before you decided to
0: jump into it. Uh, yeah, so we when we first hit the, our very first night on the road, it was it was just we. We didn't know what to do we slept in a Walmart parking lot and that was something we had heard online we really, like, oh, I think this works. And we were just so far outside our element, but that was our very first night on the road. And then our, we were driving from the East coast to the West coast. We had to get to Seattle for a wedding. So that was kind of our first push across the country. And then within about a month after that, we found out online that there was going to be a, a band gathering in, um, hood river, Oregon. And mm-hmm. so we were like, oh, well we should go, we should go. And so we went and there was probably about 30 other vans and we met some of the most incredible people at this event. And it was just a weekend event um, and we camped out at night and there was a band and and there were campfires and all that kind of stuff. And we just met so many incredible people. Some of our best friends on the road, we met in that first month on the road. Um, and so it's just, it's a community that i never knew existed. And a lot of people, if you're not in this community, maybe you might see it on Instagram or see it online, but, um, to be a part of it is something really special. And I'm sure that every community, you know, the motorcycle riders and, and horse riders and whatever it is, artists, everyone has their community, but, um, for van lifers, it's really cool and dynamic. And, you know, so often we'll just see it. We'll, we'll get a text. and They're like, oh, are you still in, you know, this part of, of Nevada? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we are. And where are you? And all right, let's meet up here in a couple of days, and um, and then there's also these these gatherings. So during during the summer, there's uh, different events that are hosted, and oftentimes we'll f- kind of follow them from one spot to the other. And so, uh, you know, a hundred vans will be camped out for the weekend in this one spot, and we're like, "All right, well, I'm going north, I'm going south, but I'll see you in three weeks at the next at the next event." And so um, it's just it's this little kind of rolling family, and it's it's a really cool thing. Hmm. yeah and
1: again i'm reminded again of this aspect of doing something without having all the answers for it and i'm in with respect to that you know working as working living and doing this incredible thing as a couple it's also this aspect of it is singularly interesting too because jess has a very different job and she has also sort of developed her life and her work around this new decision that you've taken tell me a little bit about that how does her life fit in with
0: this how does she do her work in the same space as you uh, yeah so she's actually she's sitting about 4 feet away from me right now she's opening up <laughs> her computer and so when we first hit the road she was uh she has a background in biochemistry and so her very first um once she left the lab she kind of went into into biochemistry uh, pr and uh, biotech pr um and then she was doing that for a little bit uh, as like a Uh, kind of running her own consultancy from the road when we first, when we first started the van life thing. Um, and then, uh, we were about nine months into the van and we were driving through Idaho at night. We were trying to get to sun Valley to go skiing the next day. We had some friends there and we were driving through the night and we were like, "Eh, ah, you know, we don't love driving at night, but we were going to do it. It was worth it. And, um, all of a sudden, uh, a herd of elk crossed the road in front of us and we hit an elk and one of them hit us and, and within an instant, our, our van was totaled and we were on the side mm-hmm. of the road and we were like, well, what do we do? And so we had to scrap that van. And um, the, the long story short is that we ended up getting a new van and luckily we found one and all this kind of stuff. But during that time, someone from the internet, someone from Instagram just reached out and they said, Hey, uh, we have a shop here in San Diego. If you want to like rebuild your next van here, you're welcome to. And, um, it was such a kind offer from someone we'd never met and she actually called, you know, it was, it was, uh, we got a phone call, which was like very personal and very, very touching. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we didn't actually take them up on that offer, but we went to Pennsylvania and rebuilt the van. And then the next time we were in California, we wanted to say, Hey, uh, thank you so much for that offer. We, we really appreciate it. And we just wanted to say hi. And that was, uh, that was Brianne and Lacey who uh Brienne is now Jess's business partner. So um we developed a friendship and and at the at around that same time Brienne was uh living in a van and and traveling and she found that loneliness was one of these things that was a big hurdle to overcome. And so she had this Mm -hmm. idea to make an app to connect van lifers on the road and and uh Jess was uh happy to be a part of that. And so they've been running their business for a couple of years now and doing really well with it.
1: All right. And uh, how how do you now see your art as the business side of it, you know? Because uh, there's firstly, we all start with this love for doing it because it's so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of pleasure from all of these different aspects of observation and sitting in a location and really in taking soaking it in. But once you've committed to this as your job and you've given up a job in order to do this, and I also did a similar thing in my life, Right. There is this aspect of thinking of it as a business and trying to make it work as a business. Um, how has that evolved over the years for you? What did you start with?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it is, like like you said, uh, I'd be doing this no matter what. So, so there's always that kind of uh, security in my art that says that whether this is going to make me money or not, I'm still going to do it. So... Um, So I guess, I guess that kind of like takes the pressure off a little bit. And so I don't need to be making art. Obviously I want to make art that sells and art that people like, but at the same time, if I'm going to be true to myself, I'm just going to make the art that makes me happy and that satisfies me every time I sit down to do it. So, um, I mean, that's, that's certainly a luxury, but, um, but that's, that's where, that's where I'm coming from. And then to make a business out of it. Um. I felt like it was just, I was lucky enough to be traveling all the time and being able to document it through this art was, that was almost like the business in itself. So, um, I don't aim to be an expert artist. I I don't even know if my, my art has improved, but no matter what I'm, I'm always pretty satisfied with what I do at the end of every drawing. Um, and it's, you know, there's always room for improvement and I I, obviously I can always find a flaw in each piece, but the idea is just to capture that moment and get it down on paper and then share it with the world. And someone out there is going to, going to connect with it. I think Um, the, what I've, what I'm really blown away by is keyword searches on, on online. If I, I put, you know, 15 different keywords Um, and sometimes like, honestly, one of my, one of my top sellers for a little while was an outhouse and it was an outhouse. It was all crooked and falling over. And I was like, why are people buying this? And, and I was, I think, I think it's bathroom art. People need bathroom art and they wanted something. And, uh, they connected with this, with this one outhouse that I drew, um, and so making this into a business is, is just so it's so satisfying it so uh makes me so happy but um i don't even remember what the question
1: was (laughs) well we'll we'll keep we'll keep circling around this Uh, tell me a little bit about the creation process now you're living in such a downsized situation from most uh most people in the world and even as artists like even purely as an artist to operate out of a a, uh, to have a small space for storage to have a small cash of supplies is quite interesting it's something i enforce on myself also and that's primarily because i only want to use a couple of tools but nonetheless i feel like i have more stray stuff hanging around than you do uh, <laughs> tell me little, tell me a little bit about the creation process what are your tools and how do you how do you work with them like uh, is it is it a daily thing at the moment
0: I, I wish it was a daily thing i really try um but life gets in the way sometimes sometimes we have a a six hour drive. And that takes up all my daylight, that kind of thing. Um, But uh, ideally, I I make it a part of my routine. So it is, it is, uh, I do it at least five times a week or something like that. Um, And so I, like I said, when I when I got my very first sketchbook, um, it was a moleskin, it was a super thin paper. I don't know why I chose that one. But it was, (laughs) uh, you're probably familiar with this. I think it's five and a half by eight or Uh something in that range. And yep. so uh, I settled on that format, and that's the the book I've been using ever since. That's the size I've been using ever since. I've right. now gone on to a Stillman and Burn, um, a very a pretty good watercolor paper, a really thick stock. Um, but in that same format, and so then I have that sketchbook fits into like a little zippered pouch that also holds all of my tools. So um, I've got uh, I really like I, I start with a pencil sketch um, just to get like I was saying before that scale and perspective and the proportions, um, that's what I really resonate with. If, if, um, if the scale or, the, or something is just off about the, the perspective, then the whole, the whole piece kind of feels wrong to me. So I do a lot of, a lot of prep work in pencil sketch to get that, those foundations, right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then I move into ink. I use a, uh, so again, coming from architecture school, I use these, I, uh, isograph Uh, I use a rote ring isograph pen. It's a drafting pen, super fine nib, but, uh, it's refillable and it sometimes explodes at, uh, at elevation. You know, if you're driving up a mountain (laughs) pass and you open it up, it's all leaked out, um, but so I go from the pencil and then the ink line work. Um, and then I'll, I'll typically erase away the pencil. And then I start, uh, some shading with either hatching or sometimes a, an ink wash, uh, a diluted India ink wash. Um, I use a lot of, uh, water brushes, the, um, the squeezable kind of water brush pens. And then the final step is if it needs color, I'll add color. So sometimes I don't really think, uh, you know, a white building on a, on a kind of plain background really needs, needs much color, but if the color will, will enhance the, the piece, I'll, uh, I'll use color. I use a uh, Windsor Newton, uh, little watercolor kit, and it's a, it's a tiny little kit. I think it came as a 12, uh, 12 color palette. And I've actually subdivided that and I've put like my own little dividers in there. So I think I have like 23 colors in there and, uh, and sometimes a, a couple extras hanging around.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. As an architect who is now spending so much time in the natural world, uh as uh, i want i want to ask about it as an artist from an artist's perspective but first i want to ask about uh, this experience as just as as a person mm-hmm. to uh, what it's like to find things that are interesting to you what what are the things that moved you towards a, an education in architecture and practicing architecture and those initial sketches like we talked about you know sketching in rome and looking at these old Columns and all the three thousand years of history of Rome, but now you're spending so much of your time in natural surroundings. Mm-hmm. Has it been? Has it been? A, a, has it been a marked shift for you, or do you feel as comfortable as you were? Um, it,
0: it's a it's a little different. Um, I know that uh, the thing is, I don't feel like I've specialized in one thing. So um, I I obviously have some training and some some experience in drawing buildings and things like that but at the same time i love drawing old cars and old anything that's built you know um so in the natural world you're still going to find old cars rusting out in the desert or uh things like that and then also when i look at either a mountain landscape or trees or uh, i'm actually looking at some boulders right now they also kind of look architectural to me so um you know these things are uh they're not all that different in my mind um and then also like just drawing trees going back to architecture school i remember drawing like a big long facade for some project in school and i just got tired of drawing windows i was like i'm going to put some trees here and so i just i just scribbled in trees and that was like you know that was kind of my foray into drawing trees and i probably draw them very similarly now um <laughs> you know it's 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 a structure it's a 3d shape um it's an umbrella in ways and so um it's 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 all kind of it all kind of comes from the same root in my mind,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. and there is it feels like there is this exploration of self that is such a big part of this.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and also, I've recently been trying to, you know, sometimes when I'm in a new place, let's say I'm I'm in Vancouver for the first time, I'm like, all right, what are the main attractions? What are the what are the iconic buildings? The what's the the big uh, postcard view kind of thing and i've been doing that for for a while and it's satisfying but you know i've gone to chicago and i've drawn the bean twice now and so um you know what what more can i do so sometimes i really try to just focus in on the little little details and right now i was doing some like little flowers in a friend's garden and just tiny little little plants and things like that so um it's it's really it's cool to just see it uh the the macro and the micro at the same time
1: mm mm-hmm. and Being an artist, deciding to become an artist, uh, what's the artistic community been like? Have you been able to tap into other artists in similar situations? Have you been a part of the larger urban sketchers community or any other groups of people
0: doing your kind of art? Um, Unfortunately, I really haven't been able to connect with too many people. I have met a few. Um, There was was one guy in San Diego and um, I found him online. I really liked his work. And then I found that he also cycles. He biked from San Diego to San Francisco and I was like, all right, we got to meet up. And so we met up in Balboa park and we, we've done a few drawings together. Um, and uh, I've met up with some other people in, in the Bay area. Um, whenever there's like an open call, Hey, I'm going to be out sketching this and that. So um, I've done some of that, but, but honestly, I think I moved too much and a little too fast to really like integrate myself into a community and find uh find a. a cohesive group of people but at the same time um, I've gone to some van gatherings and um you know people will be like all right uh, nine o'clock in the morning we're gonna be do- doing yoga and then there's this uh, we're gonna take a hike in the afternoon and I'm like all right well hey how if anyone's interested at 11 a.m I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna sketch so if you have a book if you have a sketchbook and a pen come along and it's really cool to like to uh you know k- just kind of do it with other people and then uh just kind of look over their shoulder and say, Hey, have you thought about like doing this? And, uh, you know, just giving a few tips and a few little pointers. Um, I'm certainly not a teacher, but, but, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to kind of just even talk about art and talk about, uh, the way people see things is, uh, is very satisfying. So, so I love doing that as well. I was, uh, this is just kind of a cool story recently. Um, we were, we went to Africa for new year's this past year and I was sitting in Lamu, which is this little Island uh, off the coast of Kenya and, um, I felt a little isolated, you know, I wasn't really speaking the language. Um, I was, I was kind of the only guy sitting on this, this, uh, pier, this, this downtown little dock area, sketching this really cool, historic, uh, old buildings. And a, a little kid came up to me and he could, we couldn't really talk very much, but he was like, he was watching what I was doing. He's, he really liked it. And he was like, do you have any extra paper? I was like, yeah, I do. And so I gave him a pen and paper and he just started sketching with me. and. Um, you know it was it was really cool uh we we didn't really communicate much but but he was drawing and he was watching what i was doing and then um I, I think he enjoyed it i enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun
1: right and uh i just thought about how vacations might be a little upside down for you as compared to me because now you're suddenly spending more time indoors is that true like are you do you find a van to take you around on vacation, or do you finally book a hotel?
0: Uh, yeah, for, for vacations, we, we go hotel and, and, uh, and sometimes we just say, Hey, we're, we're going to a resort. We're going to be on the beach and right. uh, we're just going to relax. Um, because, uh, you know, every day is, is always kind of, you're on your feet and there's, there's not too many places to relax here. Um, we actually, we really miss a sofa when we first moved into the van. We're like, Oh, I wish I had a sofa. You know, it's like, th- we have, we have these seats. And we have the bed and there's no way in between kind of area. So
1: right. it, was, right. it was a challenge. So uh, are, are hotels tempting in that way? Do, do you reach a point in these vacations when you start to miss the van again?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, there are. Yeah, I, I definitely think so because we were, we were kind of staying at a friend's house for a couple of weeks and, um, and it, it felt really good to get back in the van that's where we are now. Um, and actually in, in other news, um, we recently, so we've been driving around the country for so long, and we had a list of where do we want to settle down? Where do we want to end up? And just this week, we actually bought 10 acres of land in Southern California. And so we are there right now, and we're kind of just camping on our own land. So there's nothing here. There's no no water, no power, no buildings, but, uh, but at least we're on our own little campground right now. So, oh, so it's big. literally just land. It's just land. Yep. And uh, right. coyotes at the door the other night and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. What's, what's the plan with this space? Uh, we would love to build uh, eventually. So um, I'd never built a house. I don't, it takes a long time. I think there's a lot of a lot of processes involved. Um, so right now we are thinking about just putting up some shade for the summer, uh, maybe getting a shipping container to put some stuff into. Um, but but right now, just just kind of enjoy it and find that uh, this is what we've been yearning for for a very long time. Um, the sense of kind of belonging is is one of the one of the bigger challenges in in van life. Um, you always feel like you're kind of in, in borrowing space or like you're you don't exactly belong somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And so we finally found a solution for that, and uh, it's been it's been really nice, and satisfying.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it strikes me as. How f- you went from being an architect to becoming a nomad, and now you're going to really be an architect when you build your own yeah. house.
0: Yeah, um, and it's it's funny because every van lifer we talk to, almost across the board, they would say, "Oh, yeah, I would love to get some land and settle down." Um, it's it's you know nobody nobody can do one thing forever, and mm-hmm. so um, every every nomad kind of wants to wants to have a space. I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, my experience is nothing like your experience because it's nowhere as extreme, but I've been an immigrant for about 12 years. The last 12 years of my life, I've lived outside my country. I've lived in different cities and different countries around the world. And only recently, and it's like the comfort levels have been always good, but only recently I've started to feel that you know I need a place where I can stretch my legs metaphorically. I can feel that this is where i am for a while because i've moved like i think every year or every two years i've moved to a different place Wow! and now i feel i feel that need but you know just from another house one house to another house not literally from a van to land so <laughs> nothing nothing
0: to compare really but that, that's really that's really cool yeah so um so if you've been moving around so much has that has that helped you create more art in different ways um because i find that like a new setting a new scenery is always so inspiring. Yeah, that's
1: that's always true. I think it really helps because, uh, like b- moving around every few years really forces so much change on you that everything becomes fresh. Even these very normal, ordinary things like a cafe or a street corner, because it's not your cafe and your street corner, it becomes mm. different. Now, my life is very urban. I like cities and I like crowds, so. It's uh, the things, uh, the places I have moved around in have not always been urban. Like I moved to a small town in the middle of Wisconsin for three years, and that was the smallest town I've ever lived in. And it was quite interesting to grow up in India and then move to the middle of Wisconsin for a while. And it, while things were fresh, there was this need to sort of go into the depths of my own creative self. To sort of find why, how do I find artistic inspiration here? Because I just moved from Chicago to Wisconsin. So I'd moved from a city which is very inspirational and full of incredible beauty in lots of, you know, architecture, the, the diversity, just the things happening. And suddenly I'd moved to a place which was not like that in any sense. So it was an interesting change, but it was also a challenge to now rediscover what is uh, quote-unquote, worthy of art. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's an aspect of your life that I also <laughs> find interesting because, you know, people will think of van life and they will think of national parks and they'll think of the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Tetons and Yosemite and Yellowstone. But you don't literally vanish from one national park and appear in another. There <laughs> right. are a lot of in-between spots that most people just drive past, but that's where you're stopping exactly yeah so there is a lot of need even in your life as an artist to find something that is quote unquote worthy of art and therefore sort of redefine what is worthy of art
0: yeah and and it is a challenge sometimes i mean there have been days where i'll take a bike i'll take a bike ride and say i'm going to go find something to sketch and it might take an hour you know sometimes i'll even find like a a cool vista and I'm like, well, this angle isn't quite right. And I'll move around to this side or the the lighting isn't right. Um, So there, there are challenges in that um, definitely. And then I sometimes see that as almost a failure on my part, because there is beauty, no matter where you look at it or how you look at it, you just need to kind of find it. Um, But also I really do enjoy using a website called Atlas Obscura. I'm not sure if Mm -hmm. you've ever heard of it. Um, Tell me about it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, Nationwide catalog, worldwide catalog, of just cool, interesting, quirky places, and it's a map, and you can open it up, and and they they make book, they print books too, and that kind of stuff. But um, you say, all right, here I am in in Wisconsin, and you put drop a pin, and it will say, oh, there's like 13 little interesting things around you, and it it might be like a a quirky museum dedicated to Pez dispensers, and it might be you know something else uh, like the oldest windmill in Wisconsin or something like that, you know, and so. Um, I'll open that up that website sometimes and I'll just say, oh well, yeah, I'll go sketch a windmill. That's pretty cool. That kind of stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's quite interesting. I didn't At, know about Atlas this. Obscura. Website. Yeah.
0: I'm going to make a note of this mm-hmm.
1: Atlas Obscura, and I'll include a link for any listeners who might be interested along with a link to Jess is app Seeker. Oh, absolutely. That, That'd be great. Which also sounds really interesting to me. Um, uh, so,
0: um. Oh and that's... yeah so speaking of, of seeker also um it's not just for van lifers that's the really that's it used to be called the van life app and they were like well that's uh-huh. that's too too niche so um you know let's say you just want to go camping for the weekend or you've got uh you know a tent or you've got a truck camper or you've got uh you want to go car camping whatever it is um it's it's open. even I'll be using it on my bike ride from from Alaska to to California because there's uh there's campsites along the way and I'll be using it for that as well
1: Mhm. Yeah. That that's fascinating. I was actually curious to know if this was specifically for the people who are committed van lifers or if no. it can be used by people who are camping or hiking or things yeah. like that. So that's that's quite interesting and actually. And then
0: um they also have a uh, camp share, it's a program they called camp share where uh people will open up their private property. Um you know, let's say you have uh you have a little horse farm somewhere and you've got like uh somewhere someone can put up a tent for the night, you can kind of rent that space. And sometimes it's free, sometimes it's paid, but, um, they have a, that as well. Uh-huh. All right. And, uh, so let's, let's come back to
1: this Kickstarter that you're about to get into now yeah. that, uh, uh, uh ha- do things change now that it's overfunded? Are you planning to do something around it? Are are, the, are you still seeking more support from people and what? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, you know, the, the more people, the, the more support is, is always welcome. Um. Essentially, people are pre-ordering a book, so mm-hmm. um, you know I will be printing as many books as people order, um, at plus plus some extras. But um, uh, the 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 thing has been overfunded, which certainly helps. I mean, some of that money is going to go towards buying plane tickets and and uh, and food and, and things like that along the way. But um, I'm certainly looking forward to the the trip. It's gonna be it's gonna be definitely a challenge. So I've done a cross country ride where I would hit like maybe five or six towns a day. And there was always a grocery store and there was a uh, cell service and and a bike shop if I needed it. And now this one is going to be far more remote. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of up for that challenge, but, uh, you know, I have to be be aware of bears and weather and uh, who knows what. So it's going to be a little more adventure. And uh, hopefully the art is, is reflected in that. You know, it, uh, I want the art to be adventurous and and uh kind of on the edge a little bit so that's where i'll be
1: what what sounds really incredible to me about this process is i mean it's such a draining activity to do every day because you're on the move every day and even coming to a rest and coming to a stop means more work because now you have to set up your camp and you have to be sure that you're in a safe spot like you mentioned bears in the wilderness uh, alaska canada all of that is going to be full of such lovely uh, guests, uh, but then the art comes after that. So yeah. are, are you nervous about how you're going to make space for art after so much physical and mental endurance?
0: Uh, no, not, it hasn't been a problem in the past. Um, typically I like to look at it as it's not, it's not, certainly not a sprint. So I, uh, I typically like to start at sunrise and I'll finish at sunset. And so whatever the day is, that's how long I'm going to be pedaling. Um, and then I'll take, I, I normally do the art in the middle of the day. I'll take a break. Um, and honestly, the, the cool thing is that I don't know when I'll be making the art. So I'll, let's say, let's say I start riding at 7. AM. Um, if I see something cool at 7 30, that's going to be the spot and that's going to be where I sketch for the day. And then I sketch for an hour, pack up the, my, all my gear and then, uh, ride the rest of the day. Um, now the cool thing about starting in Alaska in June is that darkness is not really going to be much of an issue. So I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, maybe 24 hours of daylight or just about. And, uh, who knows, you know, so it'll be one of those things again, where like traveling solo, if I want to keep riding, I can keep riding. If I want to sleep, I can sleep. Um, and so just, I listen to my body. That's what it's all about. Um, I. Uh, it's, so that's something I've definitely learned over time. So I've done endurance sports for quite a while. Um, I've ran marathons and, and the long bike rides and that kind of stuff. And so in my twenties, I didn't listen to my body quite as well as I should have. And now I've really gotten the feel of like, oh, I need salts or I need sugar. or I need fat. I need carbs. I need sleep. I need water, whatever it is. Um, it's just this really cool game of like, what kind of fuel do I need and hopefully hopefully i have that with me and i can provide it and uh, keep going
1: right yeah these these logistics make me very curious how do you account for the fuel you need what, what will you be carrying with you on this type like it's bike packing so tell me yeah. a little
0: bit about the packing aspect uh well in the past uh like i said i was crossing grocery stores every couple every you know couple of hours or something and so i wasn't carrying much food but um but i i carry a tent and a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad and you know, a a couple of sorted camping things. And then, um, my art gear, which I, right now, my kit is maybe five, six, seven pounds. So I, I do want to slim that down a little bit. I don't need to carry everything I've got. Um, but the, uh, the art kit and then a stool, uh, a really cool collapsible stool. Um, and then, uh, clothes, a lot of clothes for the, because I think it might be down below freezing at night. So, Mm -hmm. um, I need to do that. Uh, a bunch of battery packs, uh, to keep my GPS and my cell phone and all that kind of stuff charged up. Um, and then beyond that, that's about it. Um, and then food. So, uh, for like the first stretch, I'm going to fly to, uh, a town called dead horse. It's, I I feel like that these Northern towns have very fitting names, dead horse. I imagine (laughs) that a horse died there at one point. Um, so I start in dead horse and then the next town that I hit, not really that big of a town is called Coldfoot. So if someone got there and they had cold feet, so, um, but, uh, so I need to basically pack, uh, about a week's worth of food from, from dead horse to Fairbanks. And so, uh, I'll be packing as many calories as I can into such a, into a little space. Uh, I'll be carrying a bear canister, which is like a hard sided plastic container that um when i sleep i will keep that like under a bush a uh, couple hundred yards away so that if a bear does come around and sniff it they will find the food they can't get to it and then i will be at a safe distance away um but uh i won't be cooking so uh i don't like to bring a stove for this kind of stuff it's just too much weight and too many things so a lot of uh protein bars and granola and peanut butter and tortillas um uh, the, the funny thing is, so on my last bike ride, uh, like I said, I would hit grocery stores as much as I could on the East coast. So between Texas and where I started in New Jersey, there's a, quite a, a good number of grocery stores and at decent towns, but West Texas and New Mexico and Arizona, they're kind of like food deserts. There's not a whole lot of options out there. So I was doing a lot of gas stations and fast food. And, um, I really found that this is, this is not probably this is not good advice for other endurance athletes or anything like that. But uh, Doritos I found are amazing. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's a perfect balance of carbs and fat and salt. And it was just all in one little package. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I needed at that moment. So it was Doritos, uh, peanut M&Ms and like a big gulp soda. Like I would just put down a, a thousand calories or of sugar and um, it was, it was amazing. So that's, that's what kind of got me through. Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Um, right. And, and it was cool. And then sometimes I would like wake up in a little town and as I was pulling out of town, I was like, oh, look at that. The donut shop is open. It's still before sunrise. And they're like, they're making fresh donuts. So I'd stop in and get three donuts and and then be on my yeah. way. Yeah. I feel like that decision
1: becomes easier when you're burning thousands of calories. Every oh, day. it's
0: it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then even at the end, I, I ended up 15 pounds lighter than when I started the ride. So right. um, it's it's uh, it's a really cool, experiment on your body really (laughs) and uh is
1: is it is there a commitment to spending the entire time outdoors like you don't want to
0: uh book a hotel at any point or you don't want to sleep on a bed
1: at any time i'm not that foolish
0: uh so i'll do (laughs) about four days of camping ideally about four days of camping and then one night in a hotel and then i also try to do about one day of rest per week um last time it worked out that i would like stay with a friend in Nashville and take a rest day and and do that kind of stuff. But, um, ideally six out of seven days I'm riding.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you pass through Vancouver, definitely please stop by and say hi. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I will. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's on the
1: route. Yeah. 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 And is this route already like, so how much of this is pre-decided or is there something that you want to take it, you know, take as it goes
0: or maybe decide on the fly? Um, for the most part, the route, I've already got it planned uh, just mm-hmm. because I had to punch it into a, a GPS unit. So um, once I'm out there and there's no service, I, I kind of need to know where to go. So um, yeah, so it's from, from Deadhorse to Fairbanks. And then after that, I'm going to do uh, Denali National Park. I've never, so Alaska will be my 50th state that I've, that I've mm-hmm. been to, um, never been to to, to Denali. Um, so I want to see what I can do in Denali. I think it's a little bit difficult, uh, without planning ahead. So I don't know what day I'll be getting there. And I've, I've heard like, you need to book the bus ride three days in advance and all that kind of stuff. So I'll see what I can do there. Um, after that, there's the, uh, Denali highway, which is another beautiful gravel ride goes east to west or west to east. Um, and then that'll take me into, uh, Yukon, Yukon territory. Never been there before, I uh, don't know a whole lot about it. I know that uh whitefish is i believe the the bigger town, so i'll spend a get a hotel in whitefish and spend the night there um and then down through Vancouver to seattle um and then down the down the probably the one oh one and the one uh down the down the west coast, which I have driven before, so I'm looking forward to doing that on a bike it's It's really cool that I've seen so much of the country and I've driven across it uh you know a dozen times or something. And so often I'm driving down the highway at 65 miles an hour and I'm like, oh, that that thing looks really cool. And then it's gone in an instant. And going on a bike at 12 or 15 miles an hour is so much more satisfying and like you get to satisfy your curiosity. If you just want to pull over, you can, and if you want to do a U-turn, you can do that so much more easily. Um, and so that's, that's really what I enjoy about, about bike packing, and with like this idea of finding cool things to sketch.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Like I love cities that I can walk in and I love to walk even if I can like I I refuse to drive our car very much because I just want to walk to places. And I want to, the essential thing that I'm looking to do is slowing down my observations, I don't want to rush from place to place. And like we were talking earlier about flying 10,000 kilometers part of this is that I feel that I don't appreciate the distance that I'm covering and I'm missing out on a lot of little things. Mm -hmm. So this aspect of being able to stop anywhere and being able to spend time anywhere is definitely very much the most appealing part of not being in a car in this journey. And I'm very curious to know how especially the Pacific Highway one is going to be for you, because I've also driven up and down it. But uh, taking a slower approach on it might be quite interesting and as an artist so yeah. I, I think it it would be really great if you if you coordinated some meets with sketchers in these different spots because these are along the west coast there's a lot of uh sketching groups and there's good weather coming so hopefully yeah. uh you should be able to share your sketches with some very interested people
0: yeah yeah um i i hope to um but but again it's it's one of those things that i don't know when i'll be in big sur mm. you know uh <laughs> if if you're flexible and you can be there at you know 11am on a thursday that's cool but uh i'm not sure where i'll be yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> almost like meeting people back in the back in the 90s when you couldn't uh
0: completely coordinate the moment that they're going to come <laughs> yeah, to <right>. the cafe <laughs> yeah i know the uh back before cell phones i think we just wasted so much time waiting for people looking for people um it was just a totally different or, time
1: oh or just the cost of commitment like i i was watching seinfeld the other day and i was thinking it's so crazy that now that you've told someone you'll meet them at 4 p.m. at a cafe, you have to show up because yeah. <laughs> there's no way to tell them that you can't
0: be there. Right. Yeah, Yeah. there was a, a story my dad always told. Um, he grew up in Pennsylvania and and the shore uh-huh. town, the the New Jersey beaches. Uh, him and a bunch of friends said, all right, let's meet at, at Morrow's Nuthouse. Uh, it's like a place where they sell nuts on the boardwalk. And uh, they were like, all right, we're going to meet there tonight or whatever, tomorrow, tomorrow night. And um, apparently there's two locations and some of the guys went to one and some of them went to the other shore town, you know, and then like for the whole weekend, they're like, well, I, I didn't see mm-hmm. you, you know, like that was the weekend. Uh, if we didn't meet up there uh, at that exact moment then I'll, I'll see you next week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to go through that experience, but I wonder what we lose for what we gain, because I think... Uh, like coming back to this central premise of doing things without knowing everything about it and not having everything chalked out it's so enriching it almost invites us to slow down like i think of if when we when we're driving to a national park sometimes we are driving to specific destinations because we already know what we want to see because there are blogs there is youtube there are all of these things to tell us go here go here go here and there are maps with these locations pointed out So sometimes we suspend our curiosity until the moment we arrive at that destination. And that feels so counterproductive because there is so much on the way and it's not always just about the final location. It's really about the experience of it, which is sort of what uh, resonates with me even about your art practice. You're often drawing things that you don't know how they'll turn out. They are things that you haven't seen before and things that you haven't considered to draw or paint before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've really made it a point not to rip anything out of my sketchbook. Um, and there's uh, maybe one out of a hundred that I don't share online. So um, so I really try to just take every, every moment that I sit down, I, I try to commit, and make the best art I can in that, in that time, in that space.
1: Actually, this brings me to another question. Where do the sketchbooks go in your limited space?
0: Uh so you must they, have many by now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I love I I don't know if you have the same the same satisfaction but seeing them. Actually, I think I just heard you on a on a podcast recently talking about how your sketchbooks are not precious to you. And so if one gets lost or burned or whatever, it's not I only said that
1: because I did lose one at <laughs> one point. It was very early. It was a very little art in it. I wasn't particularly good. Yeah. But I think I said that more in terms of the attitude. I don't think I would be very happy if I lost a sketch. I don't think I'd be very zen about it if I lost a sketchbook today. But I think it's uh, more importantly, it's the attitude that if I do lose a sketchbook, I shouldn't feel like, like I should feel like everything I do is going to be better. Like the Mm -hmm. next day is always better. So if I lost a sketch, I'll make a better sketch today. True. And
0: um, so I really do get a lot of satisfaction of watching my, my bookshelf grow. So, you know, it started out as like three sketchbooks and now uh, I don't know, it might be over two feet, almost three feet long of sketchbooks all, all stacked up. Um, and so for a long time from the road, I would every two or three books I'd fill up, I would mail them back to my dad's house and, and they would go up on my childhood, in my childhood bedroom, up on a bookshelf. And I felt like that was like the safest place, you know, the, the, it's not going to get wet or burned down or anything like that. Um, and now that we have, uh, bought some land out here, we have, uh, see see behind me right there. That's a, a little storage trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, right now, everything we own is in that trailer, including all my sketchbooks. And, right. um, yeah, so I do need to find a safe place for them, but, uh, I don't know, until then, they're just going to sit in a, in a waterproof box in that in that trailer. Yeah, that's, that's so lovely. Uh,
1: Mike, this has been a really nice conversation for me, and I'm so fascinated to learn about this completely other way of living. You know, like, I feel like there are so many things we take for granted in the way we live. And we don't question, we don't question why this is so important in our lives. And I have asked myself some questions with respect to my career, with respect to the things that I'm going to spend every day doing. Hence, the switch to becoming an artist. I used to be an engineer before. The switch to becoming a writer and now starting a podcast. But you've made changes in very fundamental things that I haven't considered. Do I want to live inside a home? (laughs) How much time do I want to spend outdoors? So I want to end this conversation on some kind of note that we could give out to people who, perhaps, need that push. That you mentioned that someone gave you, like you reached out to another van lifer, mm-hmm. and they gave you the push to just do it, just right. move with it. What are some What are some things? You, is there something you could share with our with our listeners right now, for people who need a push in maybe other ways, in all kinds of different little ways? We just need a little bit of permission from someone who's done something to tell us that we can also do it.
0: Yeah, I. I... I don't, I, I wish there was like some really cool phrase I could come up with and something <laughs> you'd print on a t-shirt, but, uh, but I, I think that just taking the risk is, is always worth it. Um, you know, there, there will be failures and there will be challenges. And if you really want to kind of continue pushing that limit, you're going to find ways to get around those mountains and, and find where you want to be. Uh, because even now, um, I don't know if this is exactly where I wanted to end up, but it's it's been amazing, you know. So, so you can't really predict, and you, I don't I don't think that I say, oh, in in five years, this is exactly the spot I wanted to be, but it has been rewarding, and I've loved every minute of it. Um. So, if if there's someone out there right now who is thinking about sketching or taking their art outside and and doing more and exploring with it, then, uh, absolutely, you know, like, like the advice I got was just, just go and do it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the thing that opens you up. So, so like, if you take, start going outside and sketching, that might not be where you end up. You know, um, I thought that, um, you know, Basically, but also like, look at it this way, Uh, a year ago, I never thought I'd be creating a book, you know, um, about biking from Alaska to Mexico. That was not something that was on my horizon. I didn't even consider it until maybe six months ago. And I said, all right, well, this Mm -hmm. is, this is something I'm interested in. And maybe other people will be too. And then I got an incredible amount of support from Kickstarter. So I'm like, well now, okay, there you go. I'm going to write a book. and um so just stay open say yes and that's my best advice
1: yeah yeah that's that's so that's actually really wise because i feel like we need to focus on the things that we do rather than the results that they will bring us and more people could use simply doing things and sometimes you know we know what are the things we want to do but we don't feel like we're allowed to do them because we need to have an ideas about results so again thinking about google maps again like i was just thinking about how google maps has reduced our world because now we go from destination to destination mm-hmm. and we don't look in between but this conversation learning about your life learning about the decisions you've taken and the way that you're the way that you're exploring this life you know nothing no label strictly defines you because you're also evolving and you're taking new decisions based on what you see and what you feel and what you experience. And that's really the way to sort of travel
0: through life, to bike back through life. Yeah, There you go. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I just want to thank you also for having me on. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think it's really cool that you have an art podcast and we didn't really talk a lot about art. You know, we, it was all these things that uh, are adjacent to it. Um, So I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, uh, and chat about that because, um, you know, uh, art is just something that I do, and I'm sure it's something that a lot of people do, and it doesn't really define who they are. It's Mm -hmm. just, uh, it's a cool way to create some memories, create some, uh, like just create, that's what it is, um, while you're, while you're living the rest of your life.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's such, a, like, that's, such a, that's such a beautiful note to end this conversation on, because people need to understand that thing, that not only uh, is, it, is it found in the artists we like and the people we follow, that they contain these multitudes, there are many aspects to their personality, but that if we find that in ourselves, we shouldn't be discouraged. An artist or somebody wanting to be an artist does not have to be just an artist. It is an aspect of your life, And it can be enhanced by the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. What really makes your art unique? And I think about what sells your art on Etsy, what makes your art appealing on Instagram is the rest of your life around it Mm -hmm. and the circumstances in which you produce that art, which are absolutely fascinating. So I'll be sharing your website. I'll be sharing your Instagram also with the show notes for this episode. And I would love, for any listeners to check out the hashtag one life, check out what Mike is doing and follow his Kickstarter, follow his project as he shares it with us. It's going to be so exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And and yeah, follow along on the ride. Um, I'm going to start June 6th in Dead Horse, Alaska, and um, I'll be posting every day as long as they're cell service. So there may not be a whole <laughs> lot from the start, but uh, but I you know encourage everyone to follow along and uh, hopefully it'll make for a, a cool adventure story.
1: Thank you for listening. Follow Mike's journey on his Instagram page or visit his website. Links to both in the episode description. To support this show, buy me a coffee. That's it. It's very simple. To get more sneaky art in your life, sign up to my newsletter or become a Sneaky Art Insider for exclusive rewards, giveaways, and this inimitable satisfaction of supporting an independent podcast.